0: welcome everyone in today's world we see so much violence suffering problems people are wondering why today we have a very important presentation that we need to share about the origin and the deeper cause of a lot of these calamities that we're seeing in our world we're going to be discussing today with all of you an extremely important principle for spiritual life for higher consciousness and that is <clears throat> eating spiritually we want to live spiritually we want to pray spiritually we want to be spiritual and throughout our day that spirituality should infiltrate our choices of what and how we eat and we're going to see t- today how subtle and how intricate how related, how intricate the connection is between these points of what we eat and our spirituality. Um, We have to look back at the original diet of man. In the book of Genesis, first chapter, text 29, we hear that paradise is vegetarian. According to the Bible, God intended the entire human race to follow vegetarian diet. God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed and every tree in which is the fruit of a tree-yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. Meat which is a translation of the word for food. So God indicates in the next text, this diet is good. Every herb-bearing seed and every tree, every fruit which has come from this tree-yielding seed, to you it shall be food. This diet is good. It's very clear. Later on we understand In other passages of the Bible, the Old Testament, there is another diet which contained meat. Now why is that? That was allowed simply to satisfy their lust. Later, in Genesis, that other diet is referred to in this way, But flesh with life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will require, at the hand of every beast, I will require it. This is called karma. The original prescription is to not kill others. And interestingly, that is the very foundational commandment we get, which is meant to guide the life of a Christian, or a Jew, or a Muslim to accept these commandments that God gave. Jesus doesn't say get rid of the commandments. He asks us to follow the commandments. That's how we will be known as a a true follower, a true disciple. Someone asked Jesus, how will I inherit the kingdom of God? He said, follow the commandments. And if that wasn't enough, go and give everything you have and come and follow me. He didn't say he didn't. Jesus never said you don't have to follow. Rather, he taught how to follow. We'll get into that a little more later. For today, we're covering this point, this commandment from God, thou shall not kill. So a particular biblical scholar who's quite well known, Mark Bronstein, he writes, "Moses the messenger brought down the decree thou shall not kill." Period. While coveting refers specifically to a neighbor's spouse or honoring one's parents, prohibition against killing is not specific. It says simply and purely not to kill. So if we want to claim ourselves as Christians or as believers, how can we uh, not accept the commandments? It's a foundational tenet of any believer, anyone of faith. And here we're hearing it means just thou shalt not kill. Further, Reuben Alkay, one of the 20th century's great linguistic scholars, he's the author of the Complete Hebrew-English Dictionary. He explains, the original commandment refers to, quote, any kind of killing whatsoever. The original Hebrew is lo tirzak, which asks us to refrain from killing in toto. So... This is corroborated by even Jewish Bible commentators. Rabbi Solomon von Isaac, he explains, God did not permit Adam and his wife to kill a creature and to eat its flesh. Only every green herb shall they all eat together. Um, So, God gave dominion over the animals but that is not meant to be exploited for consumption. The Talmud says Adam and many generations that followed were strict flesh abstainers. Flesh foods were rejected as repulsive for human consumption. So we have a clear picture now. The original prescription in the book of Genesis, the commandments given by Moses, thou shalt not kill. A more modern spiritual leader explains, Jesus Christ taught, thou shalt not kill. But his followers have now decided, let us kill anyway. And they open big, modern, scientific slaughterhouses. If there is any sin, Christ will suffer for us. This is a most abominable conclusion. So, there's obviously a discrepancy following the original prescriptions the commandments and an ideology that well it doesn't matter I'm saved so it doesn't matter That will be the topic of our next discussion, but that is not in line with Jesus teachings of compassion To have Dominion what does that mean often Jesus is shown with a lamb Around his shoulders, do you think he's planning to go and kill it and eat it? We see how we we mentioned this exception of sacrifice for those who were unable to follow God's desired diet, but what is the what is the uh, explanation for such in Isaiah? The Lord says, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks, nor of lambs or of goats. When ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. It's a foundational principle of nonviolence. Don't harm others. Don't do unto others what they wouldn't want to have done unto you Isaiah 43:23 God says you have not honored me with your sacrifices rather you've burdened me with your sins and have wearied me with your iniquities so the sacrifice was a concession to barbarianism and we hear here how God responds to that in this case, so you might think, well, the Bible says, "Thou shalt not kill." What does that have to do with being vegetarian? I don't kill any animals. I, I don't. I don't kill. The fact is that when you go and eat that slaughtered meat, you are becoming responsible for that act. You are contributing to that sinful activity of killing, and therefore, you'll get that same reaction by buying it, cooking it, eating it. That same sin will come to you. So it's very intertwined. And to really follow this means you have to give it up, not eating it. You can't say, Oh, I'm, I'm so compassionate. But I don't kill any animals, but I just eat them all the year long. This is hypocrisy. A question is asked, What does dominion mean? Dominion does not mean killing and eating, it means protection. A king has dominion over all his subjects, but can he murder them at will? Because man's consciousness is developed, he's expected to see to the welfare of all other living entities. Nowhere in the Bible is it stated that only man has a soul. We challenge anyone to find such a passage. But it teaches that God is the father of everyone, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and God saw that it was good. And that's in the book of Genesis. Where does it say God made the beast of the earth, but he gave him no soul? Or God made the beast of the earth for man to slaughter? So these are all unfortunate um, introductions to a, a pure system of spirituality. So it's important that we retain and we practice consistency with what our scripture teaches. There's other references here. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. Nowadays the commandment thou shall not kill is often being edited and changed. Well, it means murder. You shall not murder. Well, we covered some of the, you know, Hebrew linguistics of the word. Now, if one wants to argue, well, the word means murder, then still we should not dismiss this passage of Isaiah sixty-six three, which says, He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man. This shows that cow killing is equated with murder. So even murder doesn't, ex- the, the cow killing is not excused on the plea of murder. If the commandment refers only to murder, because killing an animal here is likened to killing a human being. And we get other indications of how God feels. And whatsoever man there may be of the house of Israel or of strangers who sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood. It's very natural. God... Is the father of all creatures, all living beings. Why would he be happy to see one unnecessarily, shamelessly, mercilessly eating another one of his children? It's common sense. But this has been forgotten in our culture. If we need some more modern reflections on this, St. Basil. He taught, this steam of meat darkens the light of the Spirit. One can hardly have virtue if one enjoys meat, meals, and feasts. In the earthly paradise, there was no wine, no one sacrificed animals, and no one ate meat. How about St. Jerome? And so I, too, say to you, if you wish to be perfect, it is not good to drink wine and eat flesh. Um, It seems... Pretty clear. Further, according to Ubicius, the apostles, all the apostles, not just James, stained from both meat and wine, thus making them vegetarians. Clement of Alexandria, Origen, Basil, Gregory, John Chrysostom and Tertullian were all probably vegetarians based on their writings. They themselves are evidently vegetarian and can be counted on to say a few kind words about vegetarianism. On the other hand, there are practically no references to any Christians eating fish or meat before the Council of Nicaea. In certain biblical passages in the New Testament, the word meat is given as a synonym, which just means food. When you look at the original text, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, the word food is given, it's just translated as meat. It doesn't literally mean meat. If we study very carefully, you'll find this. Ideally even according to Judaism man would confine his eating to fruits and vegetables and not kill animals for food So this is quite clear and we run into this next issue of really what is the role or duty of a Christian if we have these Guidelines are we to follow them or is it simply that because we've accepted Jesus? We don't have to follow we don't have to follow anything We're going to see in our next presentation how this erroneous issue has come in and severely, severely hampered our ability to understand Jesus and his message. It starts with Paul. How is it that the gospel of Paul is more to many than the gospel of those privileged souls who sat at the feet of Jesus? The Christian theologian Dr. Upton Clary Ewig writes, With all due respect for the integrity of Paul, he was not one of the twelve apostles. Paul never knew Jesus in his life. He never walked and prayed with him. The teachings of Christ's religion is very completely present tense. Jesus is the prototype. Our task is to imitate him, to become a disciple. But then through Paul came a basic alteration. Paul draws attention away from imitating Christ and fixes attention on the death of Christ. What Martin Luther in his Reformation failed to realize is that even before Catholicism, Christianity had become degenerate at the hands of Paul. Paul made Christianity the religion of Paul, not of Christ. Sometimes we call it Paulianity. Paul threw the Christianity of Christ away, which means following the commandments, the teachings of Christ. Making it just the opposite of the original proclamation of Christ. So... There's passages where Paul refers to grace, but none of that is meant to supersede or supplant the original teachings of Christ. Obviously, those take more precedence. Where Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He advises again and again to give up sin, to stop engaging in activities which are displeasing to God. But nowadays, our, why don't Christians follow that? We've created, we've concocted this idea that because I believe in Jesus, I'm saved. Where does that show us? To actually believe in someone means you follow them. You obey their commandments. And if we want to become real followers, disciples, Christians, to really understand and enter into the kingdom of God, then we have to follow Jesus' teachings, not those of Paul, not those of someone who never met Jesus, and twist some few little statements here and there to completely eradicate Jesus' own message. It's extremely dangerous. And how much misguidance has ensued on account of that? It's very important for any sincere Christian to contemplate where they're getting their knowledge what philosophy they follow and is it actually in line with the original teachings of Christ most churches I would venture to say is not so it's on us and even if people want to quote Paul for apparently you know disagreeing we should look at the whole gamut of what Paul wrote if so, then why would Paul write this? Make no mistake, no fornicator, none who are guilty of either adultery or of homosexual perversion, no thieves or grabbers or drunkards or slanders or swindlers will possess the kingdom of God. That's what Paul wrote. So it's a high call to be a follower, disciple of Jesus, and it means to follow what he's instructed us, asked of us, And this is all very possible. We need to approach the proper transcendental spiritual science. And it will begin with this principle. Thou shalt not kill. Now you might think, well, I'm not killing animals. But when you support something, you are subtly implicated in that same action. So you may not be killing the animal, but when you buy it, when you cook it, when you eat it, you're taking part of that reaction. So you're also guilty for that act of killing. So it will begin here of following the original godly diet of vegetarianism will awaken our mind and our consciousness to be able to perceive more the spiritual essence of Jesus' teachings, how to become a true follower. It will depend a lot on our ability to follow this pure spiritual diet. I encourage everyone, please become vegetarian. See what wonders it will do for your spiritual life. Thank you all. God bless.